And the title of the sermon today, and really the question of the morning, is this, are you worried? Are you worried? One thing that we could say about uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is that he really doesn't fail to hit any of the big topics. Maybe we would call them taboo topics. From marriage and adultery and divorce to finances to anger, Uh, If you bring up just about any of these things in conversation, you're bound to have a lively discussion because opinions vary widely about how we are to deal with these things. But of course, as we look at Jesus' teaching, we're not uh, really after opinions. Uh, We're approaching Jesus' teaching here because we're after the truth. Well, today's topic at the end of this chapter is really no less taboo, and really it's, it's personal in a really true sense, because it's the topic of worry, or as many translations have it, anxiety. Now, if we pulled the room this morning and asked for a show of hands, which I won't do, and asked the question, how many of you have ever faced worry or anxiety, there would no doubt be a 100% response as, yes, I have faced worry and anxiety. Worrying about things is a universal human experience. There is nobody alive today, I would dare to say, who is absolutely free from all the effects of worry or anxiety. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, reasons some of which we'll get into this morning, although we couldn't possibly cover them all. But I did something earlier this week. Uh, I I put a little poll in a couple places online among uh, contacts that I have on social media like Facebook. And uh, because I, we all know worry is a universal experience, I asked people if they were willing to share in general terms what most causes them to worry. And in just a couple of days, I got uh, really hundreds of responses from a couple, couple different places that I posted that. And uh, the responses that I got were informative, but in reality, none of them were very surprising at all because all of them really were just normal parts of life. I want to read some of the responses. Things like our children's safety, health, our children's spiritual life, financial security, other people's expectations of us, changes in plans, family problems, feeling overcommitted or short on time, retirement, relationship problems, fearing that somebody is upset with us, COVID, Uh, problems that our children and grandchildren will have to face, winter, work, fear of rejection, uncertainty of the future, feeling unaccomplished, parenting, responsibilities, in-laws, finances, needles, bills, confrontation, the future, health, finances, money, Finances, feeling trapped, health, finances. Now, as you listen to me read those responses, you might be asking yourself, does he know that he's repeating himself over and over again? Well, yes, I do know that I'm repeating myself, and there's a reason for that, because you probably noticed some themes in those responses in that list. And uh, I didn't give every answer that I received, but I did try to represent sort of the array of answers. And somewhere on that list, no doubt, You probably felt yourself either agreeing with that person or feeling a sense of familiarity when thinking about those things. And perhaps for some of you, even hearing one of those statements or words or phrases 
caused you to worry right now. Now, it's interesting when we think of worry because nobody in the, sur in the survey that I did at least, nobody responded that they were worried about tornadoes or sharks or bears or nuclear explosions or drowning or things like that. All the answers that people gave were regular, everyday, normal parts of life. And I think there's a reason for that. If I had asked the question, what are you most afraid of? Well, people may have given some answers like their deepest fear. It's things that may never happen, but they're, they're, they're fearful of it. But we don't usually have anxiety and worry about the one in a million possibility type things. We worry and have anxiety over the things that we are facing today. Now, in my poll that I put online, I didn't share the passage that I was preaching on this week, although a few people guessed it or, or brought it up in conversation. But Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verses 25 and following, are so fitting for all these kinds of worries because Jesus addresses here not the one in a million big fears that we face, but he addresses the regular daily worries that everybody faces on a normal basis. Let's read his words together. Matthew 6, starting in verse number 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do not be anxious about your life what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we think about these words and as we prepare to dive into them this morning. Lord Jesus, I know these words are, are precise. They are, they are like a surgery. They're like an incision that cuts right into the heart for many of us, myself included, because perhaps this is one of the things which you speak against which we face the most often. Lord, I pray that these words would, yes, be like a surgery, like an incision, but that that surgery would be a healing and a redemptive one 
and a restorative one. Thank you for your words of truth, Lord. Thank you that you are the way and the truth. Speak to us today on this matter. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you, would you illuminate our minds to understand this passage, to apply it? Would you give us the strength to live it? And would we be quick to give you thanks and give all you all the glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in simple terms in this passage, Jesus shows us that we're not to worry. We don't need to worry, we don't have to worry, and we should not worry. Now, it sounds so simple when you just state it like that, doesn't it? But we want to dig into what he says and everything that he says. He ties this statement, this imperative, do not worry. He ties it back to faith. He ties it back to God's providence and God's faithfulness. Those are things that we saw a few weeks ago in Lamentations, right? He ties it back to creation and the order of the universe that he upholds. And he ties it to our priorities. So again, the question of the day is, are you worried? And maybe you're not worried right now, but I ask you still, do you worry? Are you prone to worry? I assume the answer is yes. And if so, listen to the words of Jesus and may we seek to follow his leading in this passage. And the big idea, you have it in your outline for today, is as believers, Jesus assures us that we must not worry. God, our Father, who feeds the birds and clothes the lilies, cares much more about you. So seek him and his ways. Seek him and his ways. We're going to ask three questions to sort of follow up with that question, do you worry? And the first one of those question, questions is this. Why must we not worry? Why must we not worry? Look again at verse number 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will put on. Why must we not worry? We have the what? The, the, the imperative is that we are not to be anxious. We are not to worry. But we ask the question, why? Well, just like last week, Jesus gives us a very clear do not do this instruction. Do not be anxious about your life. Uh, I memorized it as a kid as take no thought for your life. And uh, between those two things is kind of a working definition of, of this word for worry or anxiety. And that's this. Don't be unduly concerned or meditate on things. Don't overthink things or be cumbered in your thinking because of your circumstances. And before we can get into the rest of Jesus' words here, we have to address the first word of verse number 25, which is therefore, therefore. The word therefore in scripture often answers a lot of questions for us about the text. And the question that this word therefore answers is the question on the outline. Why must we not worry? And the word therefore goes back to something Jesus has said before, particularly what we looked at last week. Last week, if you remember, we learned that our life does not consist in our treasures, but in our Lord. So may we treasure and look with a single eye to our true master. And the teaching last week from Jesus was don't treasure treasures. We learned that what we treasure, what we value, what we focus on is revealing. 
We learn that the most wealthy people in all the earth, the most wealthy people alive, cannot secure that wealth and treasure beyond their final breath. And the only things that we are to treasure are godly things, heavenly treasures, things which God himself treasures. And it's totally unironic that Jesus speaks one paragraph about treasure or money, and then in the next paragraph, he talks about worry and anxiety. Remember, the list that I read to all of you, all the things people worry about. Well, finances and financial security and bills were on that list about one in every six or seven answers. Jesus' teaching on treasure was all about focus, and ultimately it was about our master. And we could ask this question, what masters us? Is it our treasure, our possessions, or is it the true master, our Lord Jesus Christ? So with that, after teaching that, Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. Why? Because you should not treasure earthly treasures. Do not be anxious. Why? Because we must not focus on temporary and fleeting things. Do not be anxious. Why? Because you cannot serve two masters. Let's look at that last one in verse number 24, because that's really the direct antecedent of verse 25. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. I want to say something here that I need to hear, that I need to be reminded of often, and it may not come across as gentle, but I've found it to be true, and it bears out in Jesus' words here. In most cases... Our worry and anxiety is allowing our situation to become our master. Worry and anxiety often reveal a problem with the location of our heart, of our treasure. And worry and anxiety often tell a story about what we're focused on. Jesus says, because you cannot serve two masters... You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So why must we not worry? Well, the easy answer is, well, because Jesus told us not to. But it's not just because Jesus told us not to. It's because of what else he said. We must not worry because we cannot serve two masters. Jesus used the illustration of money, but it could be anything. Just like we can make anything our treasure, we can make anything our focus, and we can worry about anything too, can't we? Again, it's not just the big fears. It's the normal ones. It's the day-to-day life. As we read through this passage, These are the things that Jesus says not to worry about. He says, don't worry about your life. Uh, Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink. Don't worry about your bodies. Don't worry about what to wear. Don't worry about your lifespan. Don't worry about tomorrow. And don't worry about trouble. Now that pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? 
Because Jesus, the Lord of all the earth, the the creator of everybody and everything, he understands that people worry about things that they face every day, and he addresses it in a way that only he can. Because you cannot serve God and your worries, therefore, don't worry. Therefore, do not be anxious. So the first question is, why must we not worry? But the second one is maybe the more important question to ask, at least as far as practical terms. How is it that we cannot worry? Because some days it seems impossible. I'll be honest, it seems impossible. Well, Jesus is the master teacher, of course, and a big part of his teaching is illustration or analogy from creation. And in this passage, beginning in verse number 26, he points our attention to the animals and the plants as a picture of contentment and provision. Look again at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. We have a bird feeder outside of our dining room window. I was watching a a couple birds just this morning that that were out there in the eight below zero weather, but they were happily eating bird seed. We enjoy watching a lot of different varieties of songbirds. Uh, I picked that hobby up from my grandmother at an early age when I would sit with her in her chair and watch birds out her picture window. And uh, birds are wonderful creatures, but they are not gardeners. Uh, Birds are amazing creatures. They can fly, they can sing, they can do all sorts of things, but they're not farmers. Now, they do inadvertently spread seed across the ground and and spread different flowers and, and weeds and all kinds of stuff, but they don't plant crops for themselves and they don't harvest large harvests into their barns. They don't even have storage barns, yet they eat. They eat. They live their life, and they have provision. Why? Well, Jesus says it's because our heavenly Father feeds them. And how does he do that? Well, he does it through a myriad of things, like flowers and bugs and worms and seeds. He does it like with people like you and me who plant gardens and have bird feeders. God works through means to feed his creation. Sometimes that, those means are you and I, but whatever the means, they are provided for, and God sees to it, and the birds are content. What about the plants? Uh, skip 27 for now. Look at verse number 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Last week in the text, we saw the problem of treasuring our garments and how the moths and uh, the, the vermin would come in and eat those things up. Here, Jesus addresses the garments as well, and he points to the lilies of the field, and he says, look at these flowers, they're more beautiful than any person on this earth. Their clothing is more majestic than even Solomon in all of his glory, which is saying something because he was the richest person ever to live. Yet even Solomon in all his riches had a lot of worry. But the lilies of the field, who have no cares, are even more beautiful than he. Now, After both addressing the birds and the lilies, Jesus asks a question. After the lilies, he asks, will not your heavenly father much 
more clothe you. And after the birds, he asks this question. Are you not of more value than they? Now, this is not the main purpose of this text, but the comments Jesus makes here are helpful for our worldview because if you ask those questions to a general audience, you will probably get mixed answers. You might get a loud section that says, no, they're not more valuable. They're not more important. The plants and animals are equally as valuable as humans are. That is a common view that is held today in our day and age. But interestingly, God says here that humans are more valuable than plants and animals. That goes back to the fact that mankind is made in God's image. It goes back to things where God says that mankind is sort of the crown of his creation. And we bear a significance that even in God's eyes is much higher than the plants and animals which he also created. That's why we value human life more than we value animal life. It's not that we don't value those things, that we're not to be good stewards. We are to dress and keep God's creation. But we value human life from conception to the grave. And we value the kind of righteous living that promotes human flourishing. Now back to the point. Do you see the aim of Jesus' illustration here? If the birds and the lilies are taken care of in God's providence, then how much more will we, his children, his image bearers, the crown of his creation, be taken care of? Now, you may say sometimes birds die. Sometimes lilies fade. They do each year, don't they? They're clothed in beauty, but only for a short season. What does that tell us about God's care of them? Well, it tells us that God is the creator and the provider knows what his creation needs. He designed it, he ordered it, and he's sovereignly ruling over it. Not one bird dies without his knowledge. That's what Jesus says in a later passage. And not one lily blooms or fades without him seeing. It made me think back to the book of Job. Of course, we're familiar with Job who faced unimaginable dread, unimaginable problems. He was put through a test like none of us has ever faced. And because of that, honestly, he was in a pretty big slump, a season of depression. And in Job 38, when the Lord begins to speak again to Job, it says this, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known unto me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or where was its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Job had a lot, humanly speaking, to worry about. He had a lot to fear. He had lost his, his home. He had lost his children. He had lost his livestock. Even his wife told him that he should curse God and die. He was in a low place. But as God spoke to him, he reminded him by way of question, were you around when I made all of this, Job? Does your knowledge and understanding go back to a before when time began? Are you the one that planned all this out and is ruling over all of these things? And it reminds us that our God is all-knowing 
He's all seeing, he's all wise. And it's not that we can never question why, but when we don't have the answer, we can know that nothing is left up to chance. None of our situations are out of control. Now, they may be out of our control. In fact, they usually are, but they are not out of control. There is one who is providentially guiding and ruling, and he is the one who sees, knows, and cares. Look back to Jesus' teaching on prayer, which we studied last year in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The Gentiles in this case, and this comes up again in our passage today, are those who are not in relationship with the God. That it's, it's synonymous to the word for, for, for pagan. It's those who don't know the covenant God, the creator of heaven and earth. And they, in their prayers, Jesus said, they heap up empty phrases. They speak loudly like the prophets of Baal in their, in their contest with Elisha. They do all of this because they hope to be heard by their God. But our Father, Jesus says, knows what we need even before we ask him. In our worry, we cannot possibly be more aware of our need than God is. We cannot possibly be better acquainted with our circumstances than our Heavenly Father is, who sees, who knows, and who provides. Now, Jesus is the one speaking here in Matthew chapter 6, but of course, we know who Jesus is, and he, as God, the Son of God, is also known for his caring ways. Think of the prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 42, which says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Again, this is a prophecy about Jesus. It is, it is alluded to him in the New Testament, and it says about them that he will not uh, break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. These are pictures of Christ's gentleness. They are pictures of his awareness, of his knowledge. They are pictures of the fact that he brings justice rather than just snuffing out that smoldering wick and rather than just breaking and tossing away that bruised reed, which was often used as a quill for writing. Jesus will not crush those who are weak and feeble. Rather, he brings justice. Are you weakened by your worries? Are you concerned that your life is dwindling? Are you worried about your health, the end of your life? Are you worried about your future, your retirement? Are you worried about your plans? Jesus will not crush you in your worries, but he tells us strongly that we are not to worry. He who feeds the sparrow and clothes the lily cares much more, much more about you. Last week, 
I said that Jesus often asks revealing questions. Well, we've skipped uh, verse 27, but there's another uh, revealing question in there. Jesus says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Of course, the answer to that is that none of us, none of us can extend our life by worry. And in fact, worry simply does just the opposite most of the time. And he also makes a very pointed statement after saying, if, if he clothes the lilies in the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? He says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. And that comes across as a sharp statement. And I think it's, it's, it is a pointed statement, but I don't think it's so much a statement of rebuke as much as it is a statement of warning and help. Jesus is telling us, he's warning us, if you are worried about all these things, then you must examine your faith. Now, I know questions will be in your mind. What if my worry and anxiety is, is clinical? What if it's because of a mental or a chemical imbalance? And that is very possible. Our brains are organs that exist within a body that lives in a cursed world. We have disease of every part of our body, we can certainly have disease that affects our thinking as well. And if you are legitimately plagued with that kind of anxiety, then that can only be explained by medical means, then there's nothing wrong with seeking the appropriate kind of help for that. However, and even medical professionals will tell us this, most worry and anxiety, even severe, is not caused by chemical imbalance, but it's just regular old worry. Now, that's not to put it down or put it lightly. The, the cares of the world are much. They are very much. But even unbelieving doctors will tell you and agree that a large portion of psychotropic prescriptions do more harm than they do help. Some are very necessary, but many are not. If you are a believer, it's not a sin to utilize these things if you really need them. But if we don't, if we don't, which is the case, I would say most of the time, we have to ask the question, am I seeking a means to simply bypass my worries, to forget about them, or am I legitimately trying to walk by the words that Jesus has spoken here in this passage and others like it? Am I legitimately trying to walk by faith and not worry? It's to this kind of worry uh, the, the worry that most of us face, that Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, do not be anxious. But he doesn't say, Oh, you of little faith, and then leave us hopeless. He doesn't rebuke us and say, Oh, you of little faith. He says, Oh, you of little faith, after describing to us the kind of providence and watch care that our Heavenly Father exhibits in all of creation and how much more he cares for us as his people. He doesn't say, oh, you of little faith, as a discouragement against hope, but as an encouragement that there is hope. There is peace available when we trust our Heavenly Father for our needs, for our fears, for our life. So do not be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will wear. 
The Gentiles seek after these things. Again, that is those who don't know our Heavenly Father. They seek after these things. They worry about these things. This is the same language that Jesus used about prayer. Because when we worry and ignore the care and providence of our God, then we are voluntarily putting ourselves in the same position that those are in who live their lives without God. We put ourselves in the position of those who do not know our Heavenly Father. But dear one, we do have a personal God who knows and who sees How can you not worry? Why can you not worry? How is it possible to not worry? It's possible because we have a personal, all-knowing, all-seeing God who has created and ordered his universe, and he sees and he cares for you. So we have the what, we have the why, and then again we have a what because if we're not to worry and we're given the reason that we're given the uh, an escape from worry we're given the reasons not to worry then what what must we do instead well the text answers that as well we started with therefore in verse 25 because we cannot serve two masters do not be anxious and now we come to but we come to the conclusion verse number 33 but seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We've discussed this in detail before in in the study of Matthew, but the kingdom of God can also be uh, described as the kingship of God. It's God's rulership, his authority, his sovereignty, his lordship. It's where that takes place and maybe specifically among whom it takes place. But maybe in this case, to seek God's kingdom or to seek his kingship is instead of worry, It's to make him our master, like we were instructed in verse number 24. We are to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Rather than worry, seek him and his ways, ways of peace, ways of faith, ways of trust. And we know that we can trust him because he is the good and faithful heavenly father. Rather than worry, seek the Lord. Sounds much like last week, right? Don't treasure earthly things, but treasure God and his ways. Well, likewise, this week, don't worry about earthly things, but seek God and his ways. Now, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does first mean in this context? Well, uh, first is not first as in the top of a to-do list. Um, It would be unfortunate for me or you to say, Uh, Well, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to pray, and then I'll have gotten my seeking first the kingdom of God out of the way. Now I can go on to my worry. That would be futile, wouldn't it? Not at all. Seeking first is first in priority. It's first in importance, first in an overarching sense. That is, in every area of life, we can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Much like in every area of our life, our goods, our finances, our treasures can be used as servants to God. So in every area of our life, we can seek God's kingdom and righteousness. Touching our health, we can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Touching our finances, we can seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Touching our clothing, we can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. 
Touching our futures, we can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Touching our relationships, we can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Touching our children, our homes, our jobs, we can seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness can be as simple as saying yes to God's ways rather than saying yes to our own desires and our own temptations. And when we seek God first, that is overall, when we seek his kingdom as a priority, his righteousness as a priority, then all the things of life will fall in place under that. Now, just like God uses means to feed the birds, he uses means to provide for us as well. For instance, if we're seeking God in his ways, we'll be diligent to work and plan as he's taught us. We'll be good stewards of our gifts. We'll seek to raise our families well. We'll seek good relationships. All the things that we worry and dread are touched upon in God's kingship, which leads me to ask an important question to myself and you. Do we tend to relegate all the physical things of the world, all the relational parts of life to our own control and only leave the spiritual to God's care? If that's true, I would beg you to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness in all areas of your life. That's what it means to seek his first, because all these things are under his rule and under his care. Finally, in verse 34, we're told again, do not be anxious. This time it's do not be anxious about tomorrow. And this really comes into our thought life, because tomorrow only exists, at least right now, for us in our thinking. It only exists for us in, in concept. It's, it's only a possibility for us. Now, God knows and has deemed whether or not it will be a real thing. But for us, we think about tomorrow, and it's not even there yet. Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. He says, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, again, is this to say that we're never to plan? Of course not. But in our planning, we're not to worry. We're to plan joyfully, and we're to plan always with an eye to if God wills. Do you worry often about tomorrow? Does it cloud your thinking about today? Does it clog your mind with dread and fear when right now there are things to attend to, to, to seek God's righteousness within? May Jesus' words encourage you. And also the words of Paul, who echoes Jesus' teaching in Philippians chapter 4. Very familiar passage. I want to read from Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Paul goes on to say, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. 
And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a very practical way to apply Jesus' teaching. Instead of worrying, go to the Lord in prayer. Instead of worrying about the things of tomorrow, rest in the peace of God which passes all understanding. Because the God of peace will be with you. And this is a good note, I believe, to end on because perhaps the most wonderful way and maybe the most accurate way to describe the opposite of worry is peace. Peace that, again, goes beyond understanding. Peace that is available only in God's kingdom as we seek him, his righteousness, his ways. And as always, if you know nothing of this peace, then may you run to Christ. May you learn to trust him and follow him. As believers, Jesus assures us that we must not worry. God, our Father, who feeds the birds and clothes the lilies, cares much more about you. Lord, we know these things are true in your word. Lord Jesus, you've given us good reason to believe it from Scripture, from, from your testimony of faithfulness. We've seen God's faithfulness not only in the lives of his people all throughout the centuries, but we've seen it even in our experience day after day. We know our Heavenly Father, oh God, you are the one who sees and knows and cares. We know that you are providentially ruling over all creation, and we know that if you feed the lily or if you feed the birds and dress the lilies, how much more do you care for us? Yet, Lord, you still know that we are prone to worry. So may we take these words to heart. May we think deeply about where our faith is, where our trust is, coupled again with where our treasure is. And because we cannot serve two, two masters, Lord, may we not serve the master of our worry, but may we look to you that you would give us that peace, peace that passes understanding, that comes through knowing you and your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.